Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. I mean, beverages, watching a big game, it can't get any better. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You know, if you really want to gain an edge in life, it's all about doing the little things, making the little changes that add up to the biggest of differences. And that's where our friends at Seed really kick in. My daily routine is pretty hectic. I wake up in the morning, I'm checking the betting odds, I'm looking at all the news that's going on. Well, I do need something that's going to keep me on track with my gut health, and DS01 Daily Symbiotic benefits my gut, my skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I mean, I've integrated it into my daily routine with breakfast. Boop, take one in the morning, it's an easy capsule, and that's all you got to do there. And what I've noticed, I wake up with better energy, I'm sharper at work, I'm doing all the things that I need to do to get stuff done. And because it's really, really key since your body is your ecosystem. You know, your gut is the central hub for various pathways through the body. And a healthy gut means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and much more. And what's really cool about this is that if you need a refill, it's already on the way. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when you use consistently like other routine health habits. So Seed's subscription service easily builds DSO1 into your routine with no refrigeration needed. Trust your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash shuffle and use code 25SHUFFLE. That's 25SHUFFLE to get 25% off your first month. 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash shuffle. Code 25SHUFFLE. This is the GM Shuffle. What makes Cup so good is they know it's going to him and nobody stops him. <laughs> like nobody's taking him out of the game. I mean, he had almost 200 targets last year. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. And Michael, to steal a line from your tweet from earlier this morning, and so we begin the start of our weekend and weekday NFL routines, buddy. Yeah, that's the best part about the NFL season. You know, the, the chaos of the offseason, you know, it, Monday, Tuesday it, it are all different in the offseason. But when you get into the season and when you get into that routine, you know, Monday's game review, Tuesday's uh, study, you know, it, it, it kind of works. And, and even though I'm not in the league anymore and you're watching from the outside as well, we all have our routines to get ready for the weekend. So and that makes the week so much better. And so I'm so looking forward to it. I love it. I, I've already got the outside tv ordered i've got <laughs> nice. the stand ready to go i got the you know i got the kitchen all organized so there's going to be a lot of football watched outdoors with my man berman and uh, the whole family there millie and anisa will all be watching outside it'll be great i can't wait for it hopefully the fall will be as good as the summer has been I absolutely love that I'm, i got some homework to do this weekend trying to get the tv situation set up in my office so i can watch as many games as possible so we'll hopefully figure that out by uh sunday yeah because uh you, you gotta i'm you gotta hoping keep that direct tv yeah well direct tv you know you still you have to buy the whole thing mm-hmm. although if you get a vpn from a uh an outside uh like a European VPN, mm-hmm. you can then buy, like if you're in Australia, you can watch all the NFL games by the package, but you have to have an Australian IP address. So, you know, that's the challenge there because buying the direct ticket with that damn 
thing in front of your house is ridiculous. <laughs> I can't believe they don't stream it yet. If somebody knows how they, if they stream the NFL ticket, please let me know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, send it to me as well. Uh, and I can get that situated in my apartment that does not allow me to put that nice old satellite dish on the side of my apartment there. But as always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. You can tweet at Michael at M Lombardi NFL. I'm at Femi Abebefe. Our producer, Stephen Bond, with us as always on the ones and twos. And we talked about football beginning, Michael, but we have to begin with where we began last week's episode of the podcast with Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland Browns. The NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, at the special league meeting in Minneapolis earlier this week to approve the sale of the Denver Broncos was asked by reporters about Deshaun Watson and the whole appeal process. And he says that the evidence calls for Watson to serve at least a one-year suspension. Now, the appeal is being heard by the former New Jersey attorney, um, attorney general, I should say, Peter C. Harvey. So I'm just curious to see when this thing gets all shaken out, where this goes. What is the timeline as we sit here uh, just a couple days away from the Browns actually playing in a preseason game? You know, I don't think there is a timeline. So there's no new evidence coming in. So, like, the Players Association can't then argue. The the, the, the Watson case can't argue. You know, and then the NFL can't argue. So he's just looking at all the data and going through the vast history of prior cases. And I think he's going to reach some conclusion based on the evidence. But I think what Goodell was fairly forthcoming with was the fact that he's got proof from Sue Robinson that this was egregious, that this was multiple cases, that this violated the collective bargaining agreements conduct policy. And under that, under those criteria, as we saw with the Brady case, that, you know, you can't, this has been collectively bargained. I mean, if you mm -hmm. read the verbiage from the Brady case, when the judge ruled against Brady, against Brady and that, he said, the judge basically said, look, I don't agree with this, but you guys collectively bargained it, so you work it out. And that's kind of where it is. So I would suspect that it's going to be. I can't imagine, you know, that it's not going to come rather sooner than later because he's had all the evidence in front of him. Maybe it'll come after this first preseason game. I don't know. But, you know, will they let him play in the preseason? Most guys that are suspended, they get to play in the preseason. Mm -hmm. They just get, you know, Hopkins can play in the preseason, even though he has a six-game suspension. I mean, Camaro can play in the preseason, and we don't know what his suspension is. So it'll be interesting to see what that comes forward. Will it help Watson to play in the preseason? Yeah, I think it will, because I think he needs some reps. I mean, he hasn't had real reps in a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. Goodell said that the quarterback's actions were, quote, egregious and predatory behavior, as Sue Robinson noted in the 16-page report. Uh, that she came to the six-game suspension with. We'll find out what this timeline is. It's a little unclear, like you mentioned right now. But you mentioned from a on-the-field standpoint, Watson just playing Friday night against the Jacksonville Jaguars. To me, I think this honestly gets settled between now and then. Not like a settlement, but I think we'll hear some sort of verdict from the appeal between now and then because I don't think the league wants him on the field at least from Roger Goodell, you mentioned that you can't really argue any cases. It almost feels like he's kind of trying to argue in the court of public opinion, which is not really the, uh, the, the jury in this situation, but I think he's trying to get some goodwill from the rest of the public about the league being front-facing and trying to punish Deshaun Watson for what Sue Robinson found um, in that 16-page report there. But uh, do you think that we'll actually see Watson play? I know he's expected to play, but do you think that we'll see him play Friday night? 
I think we have to, right? I, I think it, you know I can't imagine it comes through. And, and look, there's been precedent. Guys have played in the preseason have been suspended. So, you know, unless this judge rules that he is to not be on a football field for uh, at any point, unless it comes directly from him, then you know, then there's no appeal to his decision. So whatever he says, you got to live by. But there's been no precedent set by this. But, you know, look, I think what Goodell said the other day is pretty clear. They want a full one-year suspension out of the building, nowhere to be found. You can't come around. You pay a price for what you did. It's proven that you did this. You violated the CBA. You're out of the building and go forward. So from Cleveland's standpoint, is this smart to play Deshaun Watson if the most likely outcome is that he misses significant time? Or should they be focusing these reps towards Jacoby Brissett, who appears to be at least starting for them in the first half of the season? I mean, I think that, you know, look, Watson needs reps, but there is a growing sense that he's not going to be on the team this year. So are you wasting reps mm-hmm. since he's not going to be there? And I don't know the answer to that. You know, I don't know the I know he needs reps because he hasn't played live football in a long, long time. So he does need that. But, but he also, there's a prevailing thought that he's not going to be suspended. The hard part about preseason is who do you play with the guy you want to really see? Let's take the Patriots, for example. They're playing tonight. We're recording this Thursday morning. They play tonight against the Giants. The Giants are going to play their guys, right? And so the Giants want to look at Daniel Jones. The Patriots have the Panthers coming in on Monday to practice against them. The way Belichick typically operates is he'll tell the team, look, or certain players that he knows he wants to, he rather watch them against the Panthers in the practice than in a, than in a preseason game where he can't control the variable variables so would I take the Giants and lay and lay the points tonight oh absolutely because I think the Giants will play their guys and the Patriots won't so I think that's it and so you can't play your guy you can't play your starting quarterback if you're not gonna play your starting offensive line you follow me so those things it's all kind of has to go in order it's very challenging you know and that's when you're trying to play two to evaluate two quarterbacks like in Carolina you got to play your guys you got to play your offensive line because you want both quarterbacks to have the advantages of protection. So that kind of lingers into the problem that you have to decide. For Watson, if he's not going to be there for a year, what are we wasting our time for? we got to get on with the season. Do you agree with that sentiment that it's better to kind of just go through these joint practices, which are becoming more in vogue here in 2022, and play your starters there versus in the actual preseason games because of the variables that you can control in a practice setting? Yeah, I think that's definitely better. And I think the other thing is, look, here's what I say to people all the time. When you go out to practice in September, you know, you got a Wednesday practice in September, you never think about injuries. Like you never really think about injuries. You're just your mind's on how we're going to practice, how are, what's our strategy for the game, what do we plan on doing, is it all going to come together? When you go out to training camp, all you're thinking about is injuries. And what's the difference there? What lies the difference? Well, the difference is you got 80 guys, right? And some of those 80 don't know how to practice well. They're on the ground too much. They don't understand it. Practice is an art. And when you do it well, you can have physicality, but you could also keep players healthy. Now, there's certainly injuries during the week, but it comes up, but your mind's not on it. And when you go to these camps, when you go to these practice sessions against other teams, it's good against good, but those guys know how to practice. Mm-hmm. They know they're not going to cut block. They know they're not going to go for your knees. They're not going to do stuff that's going to hurt the pl- other player. They understand how to play the game. You know, It's like you watch all these clips in the NBA and now these, these players play in all these different pickup games. They all know how to play. They know how to play without getting hurt. 
And I think that's what, when you have these camps, you control the situation, you control the level of talent, and you get a better evaluation. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point there when it's being the ones versus ones in these joint practices. Um, because you mentioned some guys went out of practice. The ones versus twos when the team is just practicing within themselves. You got guys that are trying to compete to get to those number one reps or guys that are kind of compete to get onto the roster there. So sometimes some guys go out there with a reckless abandon. One team that already hit the injury bug is the New York Jets, who saw their first round pick offensive tackle Makai Becton suffer an injury to his kneecap. He is expected to miss the entire season. Now, it's not confirmed as of now, but all indications are that Becton will miss the entire 20. 2022 season this comes after he only played in one game in 2021 just a devastating blow here for the new york jets for a player after his first year looked like a promising blue chip kind of tackle now is fighting the injury bug well i mean look he, he is really a talented player there's no denying the talent but the the problem is is you know you can't go through your career at, at this enormous weight you know he's always had weight trouble you know it's like one of the people said why'd you lose weight Lombardi and I said well I listened to Francis Ford Coppola say that he's never saw any 350 pound 85 year olds you know it's like it's not healthy <laughs> and it's not healthy for you to be a 400 pound tackle or it's not healthy to be a 300 you know to try to get your weight down you got to you got to figure out a way to play leaner I mean Alan Page came into the National Football League from Notre Dame and went to Minnesota. And I think he came in at like 270. By the time he was done playing, he was 235. He was getting leaner. Same with Deacon Jones. You, you got to try to keep the weight off. It helps you live longer. It helps you stay healthier. I think that's the biggest problem with, with, with Becton. I mean, you know, look, I, the Jets got an A for the draft. They drafted him in because that's what they get all the time. But the reality of it is, is he's talented, but he doesn't play. He's not reliable. And so, you know, now they're going to put Connor McDermott at right tackle. I mean, seriously, you know, and they have George Fant over at left tackle. I know they brought Dwayne Brown in for a physical, but mm -hmm. this offensive line, I think, is going to be really uh, a concern. It's interesting about the Jets. I mean, I'd love to hear what you think on this. Is mm -hmm. There's so much fanfare about how talented their draft was and how many good players they've got. But in reality, when you watch it, this is exactly what's wrong with the understanding the difference between collecting talent and building a team. Yeah, they have some nice pieces, but are they all going to work together? We had Chris Sims on our show this past weekend, and he was talking about he loves Zach Wilson, you know, and he loves him. He thinks he's going to get better. Then we had Brian Baldinger on, and Baldy was talking about how is Zach Wilson going to be mature enough to handle the rigors of 17 games? See, this is what I don't think people understand. Young players have a hard time going through the marathon of the season. They have a hard time of being able to do the volume of work, right? It's called competitive stamina. They have a hard time showing and demonstrating competitive. They can't do it every day. It's why, look, the Navy SEAL spent $400, $300 million, whatever it is, to, to bring in all these people, men and women. And yet they end up with 25. Why? Because they don't have a test to test competitive stamina. They don't know. It's hard. It's hard to do it over and over and over again. That's why the, the Colts will be better because Matt Ryan knows how to do it over and over and over again. Yeah. No, you got to love the grind. And if you don't love the grind and you're not really cut out for it because that's what a lot of players talk about is just that being in love with the monotonous and all that stuff. Peyton Manning always said, I love to watch tape. I love that stuff more than actual games. That's how I was able to play for so long just because of the whole preparation, the process of the whole thing. This Jets roster, to me, it's intriguing because I like what they've done in trying to build on the offensive line and trying to build on the defensive line. Those trenches there can help them be a little bit more competitive than they were last year. 
If I was him, I would bring in Dwayne Brown just to get a veteran in the building because it's a young roster. And I feel like they need somebody who has done it at a high level for a consistent period of time, knows what playoff football is like, knows what that is supposed to be like from a locker room and culture standpoint to try to turn this thing around. I think you need a couple vets to kind of uh, get these guys out of the mud here. No, I, I definitely do. But is he going to get suspended? Remember, he got arrested in, in yeah. at the airport in the LAX. So you got to be worried about that. You know, and, and I'm sure the Jets are trying to get him to come in and see if he can do something. We'll see. You know, I mean, look, he was a good player. It would give them some veteran leadership that they probably desperately need with their team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm I, they have the cap room to afford them. So it gives them a bridge guy. Then they'd have to move Fan over to right tackle, which shouldn't be an issue. I mean, he's played over there before. The Becton injury, to me, is is so hard because one thing yeah. about Becton, when you watched him, I mean, they you could run the ball around his behind his big ass. I mean, you, he was knocking people <laughs> off the football. He was he's yeah. physically imposing. Just to, again, it's weight. You know, you got to be in shape. Yeah, no, Becton. Uh, you hope that he can recover from these injuries that he suffered in back-to-back years because the talent is there and he jumps off the tape, but he just can't stay healthy as of now. It is, it's going to be a second consecutive season where he's missing significant amount of time. Uh, one guy who might miss some significant amount of time out in Chicago, I should say, is Bears linebacker Roquan Smith, who has requested a trade from the team. Now, Roquan Smith wants to get paid. The Bears, he's saying, are lowballing him. His agent and him are not really happy. So Roquan Smith is the last of these hold-ins. He and Derwin James out in L.A., but James, that situation seems like it's a little bit more friendly. This one, a little bit more contentious. Smith passed his physical Wednesday, taking him off pup. So the team now, if they wanted to, could penalize him for missing some of these training camp practices now that he has been deemed healthy. How do you think this situation ends? You know, look, he's a really good player. Makes a lot of tackles. He's around the football. He can play. There's no, again, remember this about pro football, and it's a lot too with college. No longer do we discuss downs. Downs are insignificant. First, second, third, they're meaningless. We discuss personnel groupings. And Rokon's one of those players that no matter what personnel group the offense puts on the field, he's not coming off the field. So he's going to play on Every, every situation. They're in 22, he's playing. They're in 11, he's playing. They're in 10, he's playing. So that, that value, that puts him in a category above a lot of people. And as you know, we talked about it. You know, he's an off-the-ball linebacker who can play on three levels. So, you know, what the Bears try to do is because of their cap situation, what they try to do is back-end load the deal. This isn't mm-hmm. really about average per year. This is about spread of the money. And whether the Bears want to decide to do that, I don't know. But I think ultimately that's what he's going to have to do is, is they're, they can't, they're not going to get back for him the value based on what he brings to value. They don't have a lot of good players, and he's one yeah. of them. I, you got to keep him. I mean, you got Poles, the new general manager. I mean, he's cleaning up the, make, the mistakes of pace. He's got he's to have to make it. He's going to have to figure this out. Yeah, Smith is entering his age 25 season. You rated him as a red chip player with the potential to ascend into the blue chip category for off-ball linebackers. So clearly, he's an impactful player. Do you think that they work this whole thing out, or might we see Roquan Smith get traded to a better team? I mean, I think a lot of it has come down to, you know, what team thinks they're that. You know, when I wrote this new book, I, I went over trades. All the, not all the trades, but most of the significant trades that happened in the National Football League. You know, the, the John Hadle trade, the, the, 
the Herschel Walker trade. They're all, and usually there's always trades that that occur because of something. A team thinks they're one player away, right? You know, the Minnesota Vikings felt they were one player away, and that player was Herschel Walker. So Mike Lynn went ahead and did what he had to do to make that player happen. You know, uh, is there a team that thinks they're just Rokon Smith away from winning it all? I don't know, but here's where the problem is. Would you want Rokon on your team? Absolutely. It costs you two number ones plus, you know, you got to pay the guy the contract. I mean, those are, see, you got to weigh that. You're giving away two economically friendly deals in exchange for a very expensive deal. Now, you get a good player, you know, you get a really good player, but you got to weigh that out. And, And how does it impact your team? Can you do that when you have a quarterback who's making fifty million or four thirty-five million? Can you be one of those teams? No, probably can't. Yeah, no. I, I, if I was a general manager, and I'm far from one, uh, I would not trade for it if it costs two first-round picks and also having to pay him just not enough of a premium position. As as we outlined with our blue chip and red chip series with the linebacker position, a lot of those guys were found outside of the first round. So I'm not going to be paying a premium to get a guy, even though he is a fantastic player who is entering the prime of his career. Um, one last nugget I want to bounce off of you here, yeah. Michael, before we end this first segment is uh, our guy, Jordan Davis. If anyone's been listening to this podcast over the course of the offseason, you know we absolutely love Jordan Davis, the Eagles' first-round pick. And he went viral because the big defensive tackle over at Georgia, 6'6", 350 pounds, whatever he is, runs a four eight forty. And here's the video, Michael. We have it for our YouTube audience, but I'll describe it for the podcast audience. And he is in a one-on-one against their rookie center, Cam Jurgens, And he is just overpowering Jurgens. Jurgens having to re-anchor not one, not two, not three, but four times as Davis probably takes yeah. him back six, seven yards into the backfield. It's a really impressive clip here, Michael. But I think what was more impressive yeah. is what Jordan Davis said afterwards when he was asked about it by reporters who said, wow, this clip goes viral. And he said that. He didn't like the fact that it went viral and that Cam Jurgens has got him on a number of reps earlier in camp and that it was just iron sharpening iron with between those two rookies there. But, I mean, you just got to love hearing that from a first-round pick that's yeah. not really trying to rest on those laurels there. No, I thought it was great. It was humble. But I think that clip's kind of interesting for us. You know, I talk about the paint all the time, right? Getting the paint. And, and I talked about Jordan Davis being a really good pass rusher because what he did there on that play – pushing that guard back. That's the worst thing the quarterback wants to see. You know, they don't they, they can deal with a guy running up the field. They can't deal with that. And I think when you watch Davis, you can see how quick his feet are. That's one of the reasons why 40 times are so important for offensive linemen and defensive linemen. You've got to be able to get your second step on the ground quickly, right? Because that's where you generate your power from. And so when you're watching defensive linemen, if they're that, they have that slow-footed or they don't have that ability to get that second step on the ground to generate power from their lower body, it becomes a problem. This guy's going to be hard to block. He's going to take mm-hmm. things over. You know, and people, you know, they, they, they love scouts, fans. They love the guys that swim or win with quickness, but it's still a power game. And this guy will be hard to block for a lot of people. And as he gets better, and based on his answer, don't you think he's realizing he's got to get better, which to me makes me really happy? I I think it's going to be a hell of a pick for the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, he kind of sounded like an Alabama player coming from a Nick Saban program. Kirby Smart was Nick Saban's defensive coordinator for a number of years, so I'm sure there's some transition in that because those guys, you know that they have high football character, and Jordan Davis showed that just not only with that clip there, but everything he's done leading up to this process as well. So let's take one quick break here, Michael, because on the other side, it's time to get back to the Blue Chip Red Chip series, and we're talking wide receivers, baby. Uh Uh-oh, here we go, yeah. 
You know, if you really want to gain an edge in life, it's all about doing the little things, making the little changes that add up to the biggest of differences. And that's where our friends at Seed really kick in. My daily routine is pretty hectic. I wake up in the morning, I'm checking the betting odds, I'm looking at all the news that's going on. Well, I do need something that's going to keep me on track with my gut health, and DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits my gut, my skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I mean, I've integrated it into my daily routine with breakfast. Boop, take one in the morning, it's an easy capsule, and that's all you got to do there. And what I've noticed, I wake up with better energy, I'm sharper at work, I'm doing all the things that I need to do to get stuff done. And because it's really, really key since your body is your ecosystem. You know, your gut is the central hub for various pathways through the body. And a healthy gut means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and much more. And what's really cool about this is that if you need a refill, it's already on the way. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when you use consistently like other routine health habits. So Seed's subscription service easily builds DSO-1 into your routine with no refrigeration needed. Trust your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash shuffle and use code 25SHUFFLE. That's 25SHUFFLE to get 25% off your first month. 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash shuffle. Code 25SHUFFLE. All right, Michael, the Blue Chip Red Chip series is starting to come to an end over the next couple of weeks here, but we got some premier positions we got to get to before we wrap this thing up and today let's discuss the wide receivers the pass catchers the divas of the nfl as some people say it but before we get into all that as we always do we're going to set the criteria of what a blue chip and a red chip receiver is how do you define those guys at the position well first of all anytime you go into a draft room there's seventeen thousand receivers that are draftable on a draft board and, you know, it's one of the hardest positions, I think, for scouts to evaluate. I think it's hard. It's really hard for fans to evaluate because there's such a disconnect between college football and pro football in the sense that in college, everything's pretty much off coverage, unless you're playing Alabama or some of the teams in the Southeast Conference. Most everybody plays off coverage. So what does that mean? That means the receiver gets into the route with no hesitation. You know, and he gets into his route, he gets to run his route, he gets to get to the top of his stem, he gets to break and separate. Well, when you get to the NFL, that 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 that's over with. Then nobody's getting free access just to run a route on every single play. So, you know, it's hard to evaluate receivers if they can get away from that. Can they separate? And then I think what we have to really understand is is it's really, really hard to be a number one receiver. It's really hard in the NBA to find a guy who can create his own shot. Mm -hmm. So a wide receiver and an NBA star are pretty similar. Like, who can create their own shot in basketball? Who can get to the rim whenever they want? Who can hit a 25-footer whenever they want based on dribble penetration stop? You know, it's the same thing with outside receivers. It's hard to win on the outside in the NFL. You've got to be a really good player. You've got to have great quickness. You've got to be able to separate initially at the top, at the beginning of the route. You've got to be able to separate at the top of the stem and accelerate into it. And oh, by the way, you got to catch the football when you get there. You know, so it's not about who's the fastest because that that doesn't necessarily always translate. Mm -hmm. It's not always about who's the biggest. And it's not always about who has the most skins on the wall based on college of all these catches. I do think this, though, Femi, I do think over my career, I think what I've learned is, yes, it's an athletic position, but it's really about a 
it's ba- it's more about balance and eye hand control and quickness than it is anything. And the other thing it's really about is instincts. And I think what you see is guys that don't have a lot of production in college. Now, look, I know there's some guys that play in offenses that, you know, Demarius Thomas didn't play in an offense at Georgia Mm -hmm. Tech that allowed him to make any plays. I get that. But there is a connection between what you your instincts as it translates to play the position. It is an instinctive position. So, you know, what we try to do in our grading system is we try to a have a criteria size height weight and speed we always had two we always had two positions we had the big receivers the guys that were not tight ends but really weren't weren't were not true x's or z's the big receiver the mismatch receiver who could play inside and then we had the nickel guy the guy that could play on an 11 but only inside and when I say nickel I don't mean third down I mean when we're in 11 personnel again I no longer refer to downs downs are meaningless you know the old adage will throw the ball on first down because it's easier to throw the ball no it's not because teams play nickel they play whatever their sub stuff everything is personnel driven so that 11 receiver has got to be able to win inside win with quickness and run with the ball after the catch. As Belichick stands in front of the team, look, playing receiver's not really hard. You got to get the fuck open, you got to catch the ball, and you got to run with it after the catch. Yeah, no, and, and I think a lot of the guys on the list are able to accomplish that. But the receiver is among one of the money five positions that a lot of people talk about in team building with quarterback, left tackle, pass rusher, and cornerback. And this summer, this offseason, was the offseason of the wide receiver. Do you think that this position has ascended to the second most valuable position just behind quarterback? Well, I think you need playmakers. There's no denying it. What you need is guys that can advance the ball, run after the catch. But I think what we've seen is if you're paying attention to the National Football League at all is is you're sitting there. If you're a general manager, you're saying, wait a minute. A.J. Brown was, what, a second-round pick? Debo was a second, a late second. You know, this guy was a third. You know, Gabriel Davis was a fourth. Like, there's a there's more inventory. And unless I can get an elite number one receiver, an elite, I mean, somebody that can win on the outside and is going to beat everybody and has innate toughness, you know? And so I think it's it's you could sit there and say, okay, who's the difference? I wrote this for... The betting guide. Like, if you go back and study George Pickens at Georgia, you know, coming out of Hoover High School in Alabama, he commits to Auburn. You know, he's a five-star kid, productive in high school football. Then he flips and goes to Georgia. He enters the Southeast Conference, dominates, comes right in, has, I think, 40 catches as a a junior, as a true freshman. Then as a junior, he gets an injury bug. Then the senior year in the spring, he he tears his ACL and he can't really play. But you're talking about somebody who's big, somebody who's fast, somebody who's got quickness, somebody who's got really good hands, and somebody who's had production over time. And he goes to 52nd pick. Now, you and I both know, in this draft, there's going to be somebody picked in the second, third, or fourth round at receiver that's going to be better than the guys picked in the first. Yeah. And that's the challenge as a general manager, or as an executive, is to be able to figure that one out. That's the one you got to figure out. Pittsburgh does a good job of it. Pittsburgh understands what they want, and they break it down really well. Some teams don't. You say, well, New England doesn't. I think that's probably true. New England has been all over the map when it comes to receivers. You know, and they've, they've, they've eliminated some guys that, have it, that were good just because of certain areas. And I think you want to be able to say, narrow it down. The other thing you got to do with some of these guys is, can they impact four down? Are they four down players? 
which means do they have a return game to him? Like Debo yeah. could really be a great kickoff returner. If you go back to South Carolina football history, he was incredible there. So, and one of the things I learned, you know, the great Charlie Taylor played at the Washington football team, the Redskins. He wore number 42. Why? Because he was a running back at one time. Running backs in high school that go to receiver know what to do with the ball in their hands. You know, one of the great things about Samuel is he really knows how to get the, to advance the ball when it's in his hands. And that's what separates him. Do you think that we're in the golden age of wide receivers? Yeah, I think there's a lot of guys. I think it is. And I think the way the rules are where you can't chuck them. I mean, like some of these guys yeah. that played in the 50s and 60s, I mean, they were getting the shit beat out of them. You know, the Gary Collinses and the Boyd Dowler, these guys that try to run in routes, they're just getting the crap beat out of them. You know, they can't even get into the route. You know, the, the five-yard chuck rule wasn't in play. There was <laughs> bump press coverage. You could mug the guy at the line of scrimmage. Now we're talking about really loosening the illegal contact rule. And when we do that, these guys are just going to be able to effortlessly flow into the flow of the game. It's going to be pretty easy for them. Well, let's get into the list of the red chips here for the wide receivers. I think you brought up some excellent points there, especially with the rules allowing for these guys to get some more free releases or not as much contact down the field. But the red chips are as follows, Michael. Stephon Diggs of the Buffalo Bills, Debo Samuel of the San Francisco 49ers, CeeDee Lamb of the Dallas Cowboys, Mike Evans of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Mike Williams of the Los Angeles Chargers. Debo is interesting. You brought him up and his prowess with the ball in his hands, but I was almost fascinated to see if Debo would have been put into another category because yeah. he coined it wide back. He's a wide receiver running back here, but you see him more as a wide receiver. Well, I think Debo's an inside guy. So if Debo had a play, uh, and, and people will, might disagree with but if Debo had a play and live on the outside at X or Z and just stayed out there like Jerry Rice, not going to be as effective. But when he comes inside and he gets that ball in his hand on a short pass, I mean, the guy averaged 18.2 yards a catch, yeah. right? You know, and when the ball went to him, he had a 63.6% percentage of catching the ball when it went to him. Now, he only had six touchdowns cat, uh, receptions, only six. So he's got, you know, what, 121 targets, 77 catches, and six touchdowns. See, to me, to get into the Hall of Fame, that number's got to get closing down. Right? That's one of the great things about the Randy Moss is, you know, the more catches you get's great, but are we putting the ball in the end zone? We've got to score. We've got to yeah. win this game, you know? And the other thing I thought that Debo did a bad job of last year was he had four fumbles. I mean, he had four – the ball came out four times. But he's dynamic in terms of yards after the catch. And I think that's what – he's one of the best receivers in football. He's hard to tackle. And I think he'll continue to make plays the way – because he's so dominant in terms of tackling. Debo Samuel was another guy who didn't go in the first round. But you have three first-round picks among the red chips in Lamb, Evans, and Williams. I want to focus in on C.D. Lamb, uh, not just because I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, but I think it's a really interesting season for him as he's entering year three, his age 23 season. This is going to be the first go-around for him as the undisputed wide receiver one out there in Dallas. What do you expect from Lamb? Well, I, I think he's just going to get better and better. I mean, he averaged almost 14 yards. He had six touchdowns last year, you know, in 79 catches, which are kind of similar to what Debo had, too. He only averaged 13 points. He averaged 14 yards a catch, which is pretty good. He's going to get a bunch more targets. And I think he can win. He can win inside and outside. He's got elite quickness, which I think is really going to help him. 
He's got elite mm-hmm. quickness. He can separate, and he can run with the ball after the catch. He's 22 years old. He's only going to get better. I, I think he's got a lot ahead of him, and I think to label him a slot receiver is probably wrong. I thought his arrow's pointing way up. Yeah, he's really effective out of the slot, but he's going to be playing more outside as well here now that Amari Cooper is in Cleveland and Michael Gallup right now is probably going to start the year on the pup list. Mike Evans, I think has had an underrated season because when you look at his stats, he has been absolutely productive from the moment he stepped into the league. He's entering his ninth season in the previous eight years. 1,000-yard receivers seasons in every single one of them. Uh, former first-round pick, like I mentioned. Now he's 29 years old. Uh, Evans is putting together a Hall of Fame caliber kind of career. Well, when, if, you're, if your mantra is, I want the ball in the end zone based on catches, then this is your guy, right? I mean, he's got 14 touchdowns. He caught, he caught 74 passes. He's got a 65% catch ratio. So, you know, he averages 14 yards a catch. He gets the ball down the field. He makes plays. I mean, Kyle Pitts, for all the fanfare, for all the fanfare, for being the greatest receiver, the tight end and all that, can you tell me how many touchdowns he had reception-wise last year, Fem? I can, I can because I looked it up uh, when we did the tight ends last week. <laughs> he had one. It was one. He had one. Yeah. Yeah, let's ignore that. Uh, like, I didn't put DK Metcalf on this list, and, and I think DK Metcalf is, if you extend the Reds, you could say DK's better than, maybe he's better than Lamb. You could probably say that's right. He had 12 touchdowns. I mean, the guy had 12 touchdowns last year with inconsistent. Now, DK, you know, 58.1% of the time, he that was when his catch percentage was, which isn't great, right? That's mm-hmm. not exactly what you want, but he was really doing good. So I, I just think, to me, Evans puts the ball in the end zone. I mean, he gets it into the end zone, and he makes plays. And, and, and because of, I think he's improved Brady's ability to throw the ball down the field. Yeah, and, and I think some people might say, well, yeah, he gets the ball in the end zone because he has the greatest quarterback of all time throwing him the football. His rookie season, he had 12 receiving touchdowns back in 2014. I can't even remember who was playing quarterback for the Buccaneers back then. It was pre-Jameis Winston. Uh, so Evans has been really productive all throughout his entire career here, being able to get the ball into the end zone and also yardage because, like I mentioned, he's never had a season with less than 1,000 receiving yards, first eight seasons of his career. Um, you mentioned DK Metcalf as a guy that did not make the list here. There was quite a bit of high-profile guys who didn't make the list, and that's kind of why I asked you about is this the golden age of the position because, I mean, look at A.J. Brown got a big deal this year. Terry McLaurin, mm-hmm. the same. Keenan Allen. Michael Thomas has been injured the past couple of years, but before then he was at that blue-chip, red-chip status. Uh, Amari Cooper, Cortland Sutton, DeAndre Hopkins, DJ Moore, Michael Pittman, Allen Robinson, Tyler Lockett, Chris Godwin. There's so good. many good receivers. All good. Yeah, but they're not all number one receivers. We all think they are, but they're not. Mm. Like, A.J. Brown's not a number one receiver. A.J. Brown's a yards after the catch receiver. You know, he, he's going to get rolled. A number one receiver is Tyreek Hill. you got to roll the coverage to him, okay? you yeah. got to roll the coverage to him. And if you don't roll the coverage to him, which is what they did last year, they didn't. They basically played off. It's funny, and I don't want to jump ahead to Tyreek Hill, but I was talking to a defensive coordinator in the league, and I was asking them about the impact of – what is going to happen with, you know, the, the, the Chiefs no longer having this guy on the outside? And the coordinator said he saw Kelsey at an event and went up to him and said, Kelsey, all you're going to see is press coverage from here on out. Because the coverage now is going to roll to Kelsey. It's not going to mm-hmm. roll to Hill. See what I mean? So it's a different ball game. And all those guys you mentioned are really good players, but they're not all number one receivers. There's very few number one receivers. So you put them in a hat, you kind of mix them around. Could you say Metcalf's better than C.D. Lamb? Maybe you're right. 
I think they're all kind of 65 players. You know, I think Stefan Diggs is probably a little better than some of these guys in this category. Got 10 touchdowns. You know, he was really productive over 100 catches. So I, I think you just kind of – Samuel, to me, is probably an elite player in this category as well. Yeah, Stefan Diggs had four straight 1,000-yard seasons. And I think Stefan Diggs is a really just interesting point of – how a wide receiver can help a quarterback come along because Josh Allen really exploded and developed once Stefan Diggs arrived in Buffalo. So while these wide receivers are high priced and all that, you see why some of these teams want to go out and get some of these big name guys because it helps the quarterback improve as well and open up the entire offense like you mentioned in Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, and look, it's no secret that, you know, when you watch the tape, you know, the effect of the player, Beasley, Gabriel Davis, you know, Again, what we want is somebody who can win on the outside and create his own shot. That's what we want in number one receivers. And Diggs kind of does that. So the Gabriel Davises, the Cole Beasleys, those guys, the Isaiah McKenzies, they start to look better because all the attention's going out to Diggs. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the trickle-down effect of having one of these big-name receivers. Yeah, Stephon Diggs. I, I mean, yeah. we didn't mention this guy, but like I, I, Keenan Allen I think is really good. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Keenan Allen's a good player. But Mike Williams is the guy you fear. Mike Williams is who you fear. There's a reason why they paid Mike Williams this offseason. You know, there's a reason why you worry about him. 15, and a, 15 yards a catch, nine touchdowns, 76 catches. He only had a 58.9% catch percentage. That's got to improve, but he gets so many balls down the field. That's why that number isn't in the 70. He's not catching inside routes. Yeah. Where Keenan Allen's at 76%, 67%, but he only averages 10.7 yards a catch. You follow me? So mm-hmm. th- there's a home run element to Mike Williams, and that's something that, that you get. Like Tyler Lockett, I mean, I could have easily made Tyler Lockett a red chip player. The guy had 73 catches last year, eight touchdowns, average 16 one a catch. You know, yeah. and, and he played with some guys that weren't very good. Like Tyler Lockett's more of a red than Metcalf based on – I mean, Metcalf had 12 touchdowns, Lockett had eight. But Lockett's got 16.1 yards per catch. Yeah, and Lockett also early on in his career uh, was really good on the fourth down as well as the return man for the Seattle Seahawks. Real quick on Mike Williams, four straight seasons with 15-plus yards per catch. That goes to show you how consistent he is as a big play receiver. We're going to take a break, but on the other side, we're going to go hit some home runs with the blue-chip pass catchers in the NFL. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a watch party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. Here we go, Michael. The blue chip wide receivers in the National Football League, and Mm. this list is the best of the best. These guys, absolutely fantastic receivers, starting with Cooper Cup of the L.A. Rams, won the Offensive Player of the Year last year, also won Super Bowl MVP, entering his age 29 season, his sixth year in the National Football League. Tyreek Hill, now of the Miami Dolphins. Devontae Adams, now of the Las Vegas Raiders. Then a couple of LSU Tigers and Justin Jefferson of the Minnesota Vikings and Jamar Chase of the Cincinnati Bengals. But I want to start with Tyreek Hill because I have a feeling that you might think Tyreek Hill is the best wide receiver in the league. In my opinion, he's definitely the most feared wide receiver, but how can he impact this Dolphins offense? Well, first of all, he's got elite speed. 
I mean, it's elite speed. But what he has more than anything is elite quickness. And so when he catches that slant, and if you don't have somebody in the window to tackle him, you know, and that he can separate, he can get to full speed in an instant. And, and he's thicker and more physical than you think he is. He's hard to get on the ground. So when the ball's in his hands, he doesn't go down easily. Whereas Mikel Hardeman goes down. Even though Mikel Hardeman's really fast, he, he's not as physical as Tyreek Hill is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the reason that coverage came into play last year where the safeties were so far deep, encouraging, basically telling Andy Reid, run it. We want you to run it, Andy. The box is light. Run it. You know, it's because they didn't want to get beat over the top with this guy. So Hill averages 11 yards a catch last year. Still has nine touchdowns. You know, he, he was targeted 159 times last year. Got 111 catches. I don't know how they lose that. I don't know where they replace that. But what, they don't re- what they're not going to be able to replace is the game plan. So on Tuesday afternoon, when you're playing the Chiefs, your whole thinking is, what am I going to do with Hill? I got I to gotta jam at the line. I got to play somebody on top of him. I can't bracket him. When you bracket Hill, where bracket means if you go left, I got him. If you go right, I got him, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if he goes north and south, no one's got him, right? He just runs through everybody. And so you, that's a hard thing to do. So you got to jam at the line. You got to disrupt his route. You got to have somebody on top to play the deep ball. And then you got to hope you contain the quarterback because he just starts running around back there. And like he did against Baltimore in Kansas City about three years ago in 19. I mean, he just, he'll just run yeah. to the ball, and he's got unbelievable speed to go catch an uncatchable ball. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if he's the best receiver. I mean, Cup, the fact that Cup converted 81 first downs last year, the fact that Cup had 16 touchdowns, the fact that Cup had 145, that he had 76% of the balls thrown to him, he caught. 76% of the time. I mean, it's remarkable. What makes Cup so good is they know it's going to him and nobody stops him. Like nobody's taking him out of the game. I mean, he had almost 200 targets last year, 200, you know? And so to me, I I mean, look, that's a third round pick. I thought Cup was an inside slot receiver at best. Now that's, he catches a lot of his balls inside, but his quickness, his eye-hand coordination, his ability to stay in balance is rare. Yeah. Yeah. Cooper Cup is nearly 2000 receiving yards last year. He even garnered an MVP vote, which you don't really see often for a wide receiver, but he wins Offensive Player of the Year over Jonathan Taylor, Super Bowl MVP for that final drive against the Bengals. He and staff were connecting on so many big plays, including the go-ahead touchdown in that Super Bowl for the Rams to get that championship. Cooper Cup, he's a guy that I covered, actually, his senior year at Eastern Washington when I was working up in Spokane. And all of us were singing from the high heavens that this guy is underrated. He's going to be a star in the NFL just because when you talk to him, you can tell that football is of great importance yeah. and the man is so attentive to all the details and the amount of work he puts in. He's a quarterback's best friend out there, as we saw early in his career with Jared Groff and now with Matthew Stafford. Yeah, and his hands are elite, you know, and yeah. so he's got great balance. He knows how to pace a route. He knows how to set up a route. He knows how to accelerate in and out of a cut. He knows how to kind of play the defender, and he's on the same page with the quarterback. So, yeah. you know, it's like he, he's he got that point guard ability to get to the rim anytime he wants to, and people have not done a good job. Now, we'll be interested to see, you know, will he get 191 targets again this year? You know, will he still have that 76% of percentage of catches? I, I don't know. It's going to be hard to duplicate that year. I mean, the guy averaged 114 yards a game last year. Yeah. I mean, it's 114 ridiculous. a game. 
It's ridiculous. I mean, what he did was unbelievable. And credit to McVay mm-hmm. for finding different ways to get him the ball when everybody that, – that's when you know you're good. When everybody knows you're getting the ball and you still get the ball. Yeah, and especially on third downs. You talk about how he converted so many first downs last season. Everybody knows when it's money time. Yeah. 81 of them. 81, <laughs> 81 times he caught the ball. The referee pointed in the other direction, and the chain crew moved the sticks. That's re- 81 wow. times out of 145 catches. Yeah, it, it was a, a Jerry Rice-esque season. I'm not putting him in the Jerry Rice class, but it was on par with some of the seasons that Jerry Rice had. But the only difference is that Jerry Rice had about 10 to 12 of those seasons, which is why he's yeah. up to where he is. Uh, Cooper Cup is a all-pro. Same with Tyreek Hill. But we saw another all-pro switch teams this offseason. Devontae Adams going from the Green Bay Packers to the Las Vegas Raiders. And in doing research for this podcast and looking at Adams' stats, I was a little surprised that he only has three 1,000-yard seasons under his belt. But from a football technical standpoint, probably has the best release off the line of scrimmage in the league. Yeah, because he's always getting press coverage. I mean, he always knows the guys. The, the, the coverage has always rolled to him. The fact that he was at 72.8% of catch, which is remarkable for a receiver, mm-hmm. right? That's really remarkable. And he's going to join a team in the Raiders where Hunter Renfro was at 80% last year, 805 so, you know, why is those numbers so high? Because that tells you the quarterback's really accurate with the football. That tells you that Carr and Rodgers can put the ball where his receivers can catch it. Now, you say, well, what about Mike Williams? And he was only at 58, 59%. Well, Mike Williams is running deeper routes that are hard to hit. It's like three-run homers. They're hard to get. Whereas when you're running those inside routes all the time, you know, it, it's it's easier to get your percentage of numbers catches up. So, you know, I, I think that's what makes Adam so unique is he can he gets away from press. He'll make the catch in traffic. He puts the ball in the end zone, 11 touchdowns. He almost averaged 100 yards a game, too. Of these two blue chips, Adams and Hill, who switch teams here, who do you think makes the biggest impact in their new location? Well, I mean, I think I think Adams can because he's got Waller. So the 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 the, the Raiders are going to be very chief like in the sense when they get into three receivers, and mm-hmm. they're in eleven personnel with a back in the backfield. You know, it's they're going to be hard to defend. And if they, and Josh McDaniels as a head coach will run the ball more. He won't get bored running the football. He will not get bored. He will keep rounding that rock because if you're going to play a light box, he'll take the five and six yard games. There's no doubt he'll take that. So. You know, in Miami, you know, everybody thinks Tyree kills in Miami to catch the deep ball for Tua. I think he's in Miami to catch the slants and advance it, run after the catch. I think that's what he's there for. Yeah. I think he's there to do what Waddle did. Waddle averaged 9.8 yards a catch last year. Think about that. He had 104 catches. He averaged 9.8. That's not very good. <laughs> that's not good. That's not even a first down. That's not very, no, I mean, that's not, that's not very good. So, you know, what I think they want to do is – get him the ball, and get his ability to break a tackle and go. Because, look, you could say whatever you want about Tua, right? Tua's not a good deep ball thrower. He doesn't have a great arm. He doesn't have great, you know, it's not going to happen. I don't care who comes to his defense. It's on tape. (laughs) So he needs guys that will run with it after the catch. Yeah, he's got a couple of them in Waddle and Tyreek Hill. That Dolphins offense, they might be able to field a four-by-one team that could qualify for the Olympics with the kind of speed that they have with those skill positions. Uh, there's two first-round picks among these blue-chip wide receivers 
And the two of them are the two young bucks from LSU. Imagine these guys on a college offense. We don't have to imagine it. We saw it, and they blew everybody out. But Justin Jefferson of the Minnesota Vikings, the most wide receiving yards of any wide receiver in league history. Jefferson had it with 3,016 in his first two seasons. Absolutely fantastic. Entering his age 23 season, third year. Jamar Chase won Offensive Rookie of the Year last year. Entering his age 22 season, his second year in the league. Uh, these guys are just fantastic, but which one do you prefer? You know, I mean, look, I think Chase has got such huge upside. The guy averaged 18 yeah. yards a catch. And, you know, what we saw in Baltimore, when he catches that slant and he takes it to the house, they can't get him on the ground. You know, that that's something you want out of your receivers. Now, Chase fumbled twice. You know, one thing about Cooper mm-hmm. Cup and Devontae Adams, they didn't fumble all year. They did not fumble all season. You know, where Hunter Renfro fumbled five times. You know, that that's a problem. You know, when you get when they get the body five times, it's a problem. Jefferson only fumbled once all year, so you know I, I think what what these two players do, I would take Chase over Jefferson. But Jefferson's a really good player. My lord, is he good? Yeah. Fifteen <laughs> yards a catch. You know, sixty five percent the ball's coming to him. He's going to put in ten touchdowns, and I think he'll improve. I think the one thing about Minnesota is with Jefferson and Thielen, they have two guys who can win on the outside, mm-hmm. and that's hard to defend. And they'll run the football. I think Kevin O'Connell, I think this Minnesota team has a chance to go over their nine-win total because when you go really study them, they'll be better on defense. But this offense, Cousins doesn't turn it over. He was number one in the league last year in, in interceptions in terms of their team throwing interceptions. So he protects the football well. And they got two playmakers if they stay healthy. I mean, I think people forget Jefferson's only 22 years old still. Yeah. I mean, he's only 22. Chase is 21. Man, these guys are just crazy young. Um, I think I would give the nod to Jamar Chase, and I'll give you this prediction here, Michael. I think by the end of the season, Jamar Chase is going to be the best wide receiver in football. He is that damn good at such a young age. You mentioned 18 yards per catch, 13 touchdowns. Remember how we were talking about Jamar Chase this time last year? He couldn't catch the ball. He was dropping passes in training camp, and then all of a sudden we see him not even a year later, and he's beating Jalen Ramsey deep in the Super Bowl for a touchdown. Like It's, it's just it's crazy how fast he's developed and now that he's gotten the rust of missing his junior year after opting out due to covid that he's really picked up where he left off his sophomore season where he was absolutely dominant on that national title team at lsu yeah you know the thing is and, and i would have i would have picked so i'd be the first to tell you if i was in cincinnati i would have picked so i would have picked chase but they got mm-hmm. a they got a number but at least what they got was a number one receiver they have a number one receiver and and he can win on the outside. So at least they got that. I still think, you know, based on the, what they were able to accomplish, you know, for all this season that Chase had, and he was tremendous. And and I'm saying, you know, he's lived up to the expect. But without McPherson, the the kicker, they they, they wouldn't be where they are. I mean, let's put that in perspective, right? The Money guy's Mac. 14 for 14. I mean, yeah. I mean, if it wasn't for him, he he made the difference come playoff time. Actually, not Chase. Yeah, I want to ask you one last question here before we wrap this thing up. Uh, We saw the Chiefs, Packers, and Titans all trade high-priced wide receivers in A.J. Brown, Devontae Adams, and Tyreek Hill. Do you think that this is sort of the end of the high-priced quarterbacks being paired with some of these high-priced wide receivers because Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, in a couple years, those guys are going to be getting big deals. We know that the Bengals are probably going to pay Joe Burrow as well. 
Might we see a split from these guys from their quarterback situations going to other teams because the contracts are getting so high for these pass catchers? Well, I think the time is now to sign. Obviously, to sign Burrow to an extension. Mike Brown's already made that. And then you can figure out what you can pay Chase. You know, and then you got to pay him. He's a number to me. Chase makes it easy. He's a number one receiver. Yeah, Adams made it easy because he's a number one receiver. The Packers felt like they needed to go in a different direction. To me, Jefferson's a number one receiver. Thielen's not going to be around there long enough. So I think if you say this guy is a number one receiver, he can win against everybody. Then you pay him. Yeah, but it's fascinating. We saw the and I, that's where I had trouble with. Like I had trouble with uh, with. Yeah, I mean, like, who yeah. who's going to be their number one receiver? Now, you know, Hardeman, it's a good – will they get it back? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, we saw Casey Green Bay. They said, we're going to lean on the elite quarterback to try to elevate this thing because we don't want to pay the $30 million a year. But, you know, yeah. Jefferson, you know, Chase, those guys are going to command that kind of money. Right, but look, but you have Mahomes. And one thing we yeah. know is – you have Rodgers, and they make guys better. And also, if you go back to the beginning of this conversation, if you can find your Gabriel Davises, if you can find your Debo Samuels, if you can find your A.J. Browns and not have to pay them, that's the best model to be successful. When you got to pay receivers, and all of a sudden you're taken away from defensive linemen, offensive linemen, and your quarterback. The one position we know, and I think Aaron Rodgers has proven this over everybody, the quarterback will make the receivers look better. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's accurate, especially in Aaron Rodgers' case, him throwing wide receivers open. But with all that said, we saw six wide receivers go in the first round this year. So <laughs> in a couple of years, these teams might be right back to square one where the Tennessee Titans were now trying to replenish A.J. Brown's production with a rookie in Traylon Burks. All right, let's take one final break. We'll get to some other news and notes from around the league. You know, if you really want to gain an edge in life, it's all about doing the little things, making the little changes that add up to the biggest of differences. And that's where our friends at Seed really kick in. My daily routine is pretty hectic. I wake up in the morning. I'm checking the betting odds. I'm looking at all the news that's going on. Well, I do need something that's going to keep me on track with my gut health. And DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits my gut, my skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I mean, I've integrated it into my daily routine with breakfast. Boop, take one in the morning. It's an easy capsule, and that's all you got to do there. And what I've noticed, I wake up with better energy. I'm sharper at work. I'm doing all the things that I need to do to get stuff done. And because it's really, really key since your body is your ecosystem. You know, your gut is the central hub for various pathways through the body. And a healthy gut means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and much more. And what's really cool about this is that if you need a refill, it's already on the way. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when you use consistently like other routine health habits. So Seed's subscription service easily builds DSO-1 into your routine with no refrigeration needed. Trust your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash shuffle and use code 25SHUFFLE. That's 25SHUFFLE to get 25% off your first month. 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash shuffle code 25SHUFFLE. All right, Michael, the preseason week one kicks off later this evening. we got a couple of games, Giants, Patriots, Titans, Ravens. But let's start in Charm City, where the Baltimore Ravens will be putting their 20-game win streak in the preseason on the line. It's an NFL record. Get this for the betting folks out there. The Ravens are 18-1-1 against the spread in those 20 victories yeah. in the preseason. They've been absolutely profitable. Uh, what do you expect from Harbaugh and this crew after what we saw last year, unfortunately for them, suffering a number of injuries before the year got underway? Yeah. 
You know, they changed how they're operating training camp. They started practicing at 2 o'clock, which is kind of strange because that's the heat of the day, right? But they felt like their sports science people felt like it gives their players' bodies a chance to adapt to the day. It's kind of when the games are going to be played. My sense of it is I don't think you're going to change what John Harbaugh wants to do. And do I think they'll play Lamar? Probably. But, you know, I, I think he wants to try to win the games. I think he enjoys it. It's part of the culture. 18-1-1, one one, not only they win, they cover. I, I don't think you're going to change that. I really don't. I don't think you're going to change his mindset. Plus, he's got a lot of guys to evaluate. You know, Ronnie Stanley's not off the PUP yet. He's still injured. So they're going to have to mix and match this offensive line. Moses is at right tackles, they're over 30. Zeitler's over 30. Are they going to play those guys? No, but I think they'll play their younger players. As for Tennessee, you know, to me, Tennessee seems like once Tannehill's not in there, Everything that I've read about Malik Willis is he's a year away from being a year away, you know, mm-hmm. so that's going to not look very pretty up there. And so their offense is going to be all over. They're not going to play Henry. You can't waste Henry in a game like this. So I wouldn't be surprised if Baltimore continues doing what Baltimore's typically do. Oh, but the Malik Willis experience is underway, Michael. <laughs> it's underway no, no, tonight. I mean, look, you ready for it? <laughs> I mean, look, he had him a 10th pick overall in the draft. I mean, you know. I, I, I'm anxious to watch him. I have a feeling it'll be one look and dash. I mean, it'll be one look. Mm-hmm. And, and this is not being like, it's one look and dash. It's because he's not comfortable reading it out. He's not comfortable deciding where he wants to go with the football. The game's going way too fast. Remember, tonight we start, and this will be a slow game for most people. It'll be a really fast game for rookies and young players. The game's going way too fast. And until it slows down, we really won't know who we have and what we don't have. Yeah, I'm really, really excited to see Malik Willis and what he looks like. I know there was a viral clip. I think the Titans might have pushed it out of him hitting a deep pass in training camp, but that was just one clip. We don't know what actually has been going on unless you've been down there. You say you've talked to people. I've tried to read as much as I could, but haven't been able to get a fair read on what uh, Malik Willis's status has looked like there for the Tennessee Titans. But that's going to be a fun game kickoff at 7.30 Eastern time, 4.30 for us out here on the West Coast. Before then, though, we have the Giants and the Patriots. This one kicks off 7 o'clock Eastern, 4 o'clock Pacific time. Uh, both of these training camps have been, I think, negatively reported on. I'm reading yeah. everything I can from the Giants, and everything I can from the Patriots, and everything is, oh, man, training camp has been brutal. Offense looks terrible. What do you expect to see from both of these teams here, starting with New England? I think New England will play all their young guys. I don't think they'll play much of their guys yeah. at all. Uh, I think they're going to practice against the the Panthers next week and they're going to do what they need to do uh, you know and then I think the Giants are going to play their guys I think the Giants need to get some kind of confidence they need to find out about Daniel Jones mm-hmm. and if he plays good tonight against backups I don't know what that means you know I don't <laughs> know what that means because he should play good against backups but we'll see uh, look I, I think the Giants have to take this year as a rebuilding year kind of get good you know kind of go along because like I've said all along they've won 22 games in the last five years right they, they, they're the third highest paid player on the team is Dory Jackson do you think a Dory Jackson should be the third highest paid player on anybody's team I doubt that right so they got cap issues the number one job I think for the New York football Giants is to figure out who's going to be their starting quarterback in 2023. And that starts tonight. Do you think Daniel Jones, after 38 games, can improve? You know, it's funny. We were talking about this, uh, Femi. We talk about it on the Lombardi line all the time. I love Brian Dayball as a head coach. Mm -hmm. I love him as a coach. I was with him in New England. But when you go back through and and study Brian's career, which, you know, he's been really good. 
But when he doesn't have a great player quarterback, go back to Cleveland when he's got Brady Quinn and he's got Derek Anderson. I think they were last in the league in offense. And then he goes to then he goes to Miami with Matt Moore and Chad Henney. Not very good. Then he goes to Kansas City with Matt Castle and and uh, and Brady Quinn again. You know, and and he's not going to get out of the, t- the bottom third of the league in terms of offense. My point here is not a criticism of Dayball. My point is let's stop trying to think because he coached Josh Allen, he can make chicken salad into chicken shit, right? I mean, chicken shit into chicken salad. Like mm-hmm. he's not a miracle worker. Like he's not going to be able to do it unless the guy's good. If yeah. he's good, he'll make them better. But when you look at his career, two years, you know, he had Seneca Wallace in, in Cleveland one year. He had, you know, Colt McCoy as a rookie one year there. So Jake Del Home. I mean, you go through the quarterbacks he's had until he got to Buffalo with Josh Allen, with legitimate talent. And yes, Josh Allen got more accurate. Then all of a sudden he turned it around. So if you're a Giant fan, that's the number one thing you got to find out. Is Daniel Jones been poorly coached or is he just a poor player? And that starts tonight. Yeah, no, I think you outlined that perfectly. Daniel Jones is going to play a quarter, according to reports, and we'll see Tyrod Taylor in the second quarter and then Davis Webb in the third quarter. For New England, it's going to be Brian Hoyer and Bailey Zappi, who played at Western Kentucky there. Bailey Zappi had a pretty prolific career, at least statistically, in college football. On the New England side, though, because the reports are that they've been implementing a zone running scheme because we've known the Patriots as being a power run game. Now it sounds like they're going over to a zone scheme that's reminiscent of what we've seen from the Shanahan's and the McVeigh's of the world. Do you think that's smart to be changing up the run scheme? And how do you think that comes to fruition starting in this preseason? Well, I think you got to really understand how to block it. You know, the run, the zone scheme to me has always been more about getting movement on the second level than getting it on the first, right? When you run a downhill scheme, you want double teams and knock people off the ball. Mm-hmm. In that zone scheme, you want to, you, you're picking up blades of grass, you're moving to the second level. And, you know, I think it takes some time to get adapted to that. And your backs have to be wired to it, right? It's got to be really well formatted and coached because the back's going to read the outside tackle. The tackle, you know, once he sees daylight, he's cutting. And it's really poetry in motion. It's almost choreographed. Everybody's steps have to be the same. Everybody's got to be tight. They've got to be able to, it's not pressing the hole and then read it. It's run, cut, go. And it takes time to work it. And it takes it at, at high level speed. So we'll see. Look, the one thing I'll say about the Patriots offense is until we see it on tape, I don't know anything of what they're going to do. But mm-hmm. I will know this. If it's not working, the head coach, is, he didn't win all these games because he's not going to fix it. Yeah. Like he's smart and he'll fix the problem if it's something he needs to address I think he will do you care who calls the plays not in the preseason I don't not in the preseason because the preseason for calling the plays is the same thing as 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 the you know it's a trial can yeah. you do it you know and look calling plays in a preseason is you know you got a very small list of plays you're calling anyway you're not you're not going to expand that list to a bunch of other things yeah yeah, no, that's a. It's a fascinating to see what New England is up to. Uh, that's a team that Hard Knocks has started. I feel like everybody in the world would love a Hard Knocks for the New England Patriots just to see how the sausage is made because Belichick has been never ahead of the it. curve. He's been they, ahead of the curve never for a lot it. of teams. They would never see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they would never see it. <laughs> I think we'd see the blue moon every week uh, before we saw Hard Knocks New England Patriots. Yeah, we, we see the Loch Ness monster before that, man. <laughs> Although if we got a Patriots hard knocks, I'm telling you, it'd be the highest rated hard knocks. Oh that man, we'd it'd, be seen, man. it'd be must see television. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Every I mean, to listen to Belichick talk to the team before, 
it, yeah, it, without awesome. any filter, yeah, it would be it would it's worth the price of admission. Um, we got some quarterback competitions that are not necessarily worth the price of admission, but they'll be interesting to see how they play out in the preseason. Mitch Trubisky is starting to emerge as the starter. <laughs> in Pittsburgh, and I'm not sure if it's because he's been playing well or the other guys, Mason Rudolph and Kenny right. Pickett, have been looked that bad, but right now the situation in Pittsburgh for the quarterbacks, not looking very good as your guy MVP Mitch looks like he might be QB1 here uh, in a matter of days. Again, we just got, look, if he looks good in the preseason, don't overreact because he should look good in the preseason. He's a veteran quarterback, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think if I'm a Steeler fan, I'm more worried about what my offensive line looks like. And I really want to evaluate George Pickens because I think they got a really good player late in the first in the second round who's big and fast. And it might be somebody who could make plays with Claypool and Deontay Johnson. So I'm looking at that. I mean, the, the, I don't expect Kenny Pickett to go from where he went to a starter. I don't see that one. Mm-hmm. And I just, to me, Mason Rudolph has always been one of those guys who doesn't have great anticipation on his throws, and it shows up. Yeah, I think Mike Tomlin, I don't know if he's listening to our podcast as we're taping it somehow, but he just told reporters that Mitch Trubisky is starting on Saturday night against the Seattle Seahawks. So it'll be MVP Mitch getting the first reps against the Seahawks. Carolina, we don't know who's going to be starting in their preseason game, whether it's going to be Baker Mayfield or it's going to be Sam Darnold. But in Seattle, we know that it will be Geno Smith who gets the start here in the week one of the preseason against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So Drew Locke will be running with the twos. Um, that's that quarterback situation in Seattle. I will have to do that for another podcast, but to me, unless yeah, they get somebody, time. I don't know I mean, what the hell is going on there. I have no idea. I don't know. How, I don't know how they go to practice and convince themselves yeah. of it, but I think they are going to be a better team. I really do, yeah. but yeah. I, I don't know where they're going to get it from. We'll see. You know, I do yeah. think they're going to be, I don't think they're as bad as many people. Th- I think they're going to be, they changed what they did defensively. They'll be mm. better in the offensive line. So for me, I, I think that's that 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 I, I think they could go over their win total. Do I think they're a playoff team? No. Yeah. And apparently the reports about the rookie class have been glowing. All the rookies have been playing well, the two tackles, the cornerbacks. So maybe they hit it out the park with this 2022 rookie class, but that's not going to come to fruition. This season, maybe down the line, it will for the Seattle Seahawks. All right, that does it for this week's edition of the podcast. Next week, Blue Chip Red Chip Series. Michael, we doing running backs? You bet. We're almost getting to that quarterback, man. We're almost there. We're almost there, man. The quarterbacks, we're almost there just a couple weeks away, and that'll be a fun episode, but so will the running backs episode as well. Thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to VEASAN. Thank you to you, Michael. Thank you to our producer, Stephen Bond, as always with us on the ones and twos. We'll talk to you guys next week, and always subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. You know, if you really want to gain an edge in life, it's all about doing the little things, making the little changes that add up to the biggest of differences. And that's where our friends at Seed really kick in. My daily routine is pretty hectic. I wake up in the morning. I'm checking the betting odds. I'm looking at all the news that's going on. Well, I do need something that's going to keep me on track with my gut health. And DS01 Daily Symbiotic benefits my gut, my skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I mean, I've integrated it into my daily routine with breakfast. Boop, take one in the morning. It's an easy capsule, and that's all you got to do there. And what I've noticed, I wake up with better energy. I'm sharper at work. I'm doing all the things that I need to do to get stuff done. 
gut. And because it's really, really key since your body is your ecosystem. You know, your gut is the central hub for various pathways through the body and a healthy gut means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and much more. And what's really cool about this is that if you need a refill, it's already on the way. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when you use consistently like other routine health habits. So Seed's subscription service easily builds DSO-1 into your routine with no refrigeration needed. Trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 daily symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash shuffle and use code 25SHUFFLE. That's 25SHUFFLE to get 25% off your first month. 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 daily symbiotic at seed.com slash shuffle, code 25SHUFFLE. 